0: This episode of Craft Sanity is sponsored by Anna Magazine. Anna is a great choice for the creative and curious multi-crafter. Each issue includes artist interviews and book and product reviews and is also packed with projects ranging from knitting to crochet to needlepoint and embroidery and even sewing. This magazine is available in both print and digital formats. Visit www.annacrafts.com for more information. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 96 of the Craft Sanity Podcast. It's good to be here. We're getting close to 100. said it before when this all started back in January of 2006. I didn't think there were going to be two episodes, let alone 94 more. (laughs) But here we are on episode 96, and I'm about to bring you an interview with Jenna Wogenrich. She is the author of Made From Scratch, Discovering the Pleasures of a Handmade Life. This is a wonderful book that has inspired me to be so incredibly antsy for spring. I read it in the dead of winter. I was almost going crazy because I just wanted to go out to my garden and start working, and now I'm making all these garden plans. I started my seeds last week, and I'm very pleased that now, just a week later on Easter Sunday, I have sprouts and growth, and hopefully things don't get too spindly and leggy and die (laughs) before I get to plant them in the ground, but... Getting back to this book, Made from Scratch, it's wonderful because it's by Jenna, this 26-year-old woman who holds a day job like many of us, so she works for the man during the day, but just really decided that she didn't want to do the whole apartment living kind of thing. She wanted to have some land, and she wanted to live off the land and support herself as much as possible by growing her own food and really being self-reliant. She really taught herself to bake, spin wool, raise chickens, she learned to sew, she worked on a garden, and then she even got into playing the fiddle and the mountain dulcimer. It really is a fun book, and she doesn't sugarcoat anything. Let's hear what Jenna has to say about her life on the farm. Did you ever have any experiences as, as a child that really led you to want to pursue kind of the made-from-scratch life? You can just tell us a little bit about where this desire to live more simply more off the land came from?
1: I grew up in suburbia, in like a quintessential small town, and uh, every Thanksgiving or actually, backtrack it would be more around Halloween, we would go out to a pumpkin patch, which was a small farm, and I remember it being the one day of the year I was most excited to go anywhere, and uh, we would just go and see the goats and go on a hayride and and just spend time in fall on a farm, which is my happiest childhood memories, but it was such a not a reality for me as someone who went to design school and was planning to uh, move to a large city and start my career as a graphic designer. And, and graphic designers are not exactly what you see when you think of uh, shepherds and, and small farms. So I uh, was, was wondering how I could ever, you know, really get, this, get this, this bug to get out there and go farming. And I think it was when I moved for my first, my first corporate job, ironically, is what inspired this. I was working for a television network down in Knoxville, Tennessee, which is only a stone's throw away from the Smoky Mountains. And in the Smoky Mountains National Park, there is this uh, kind of like an artifact called Cade's Cove. It's, a, it's an 11-mile loop through the mountains of this, this small hollow where uh, an entire homesteading community lived. And the more I learned about these people who lived in the mountains and, and were entirely self-sufficient uh, community of, of farmers and and you know blacksmiths mm-hmm. and people who trained horses and it was just beautiful and, and when I was living in this little apartment in, in Knoxville and with my two dogs I realized that what I really wanted to do was was get out there and, and find my own farm so I moved out to Idaho uh, by way of Tennessee and uh, out in Idaho is where a lot of made from scratch takes place it's my first year. On a rented, retired cattle farm, uh, learning how to garden and raise chickens and keep bees and keep rabbits for fiber and bake and spin and sew and all that, all that goodness happened in Idaho.
0: And how many years has it been now that you've had this lifestyle? Uh, not many. Um, I was living in Tennessee
1: in 2005, uh, so I only moved out in the late, uh, the winter of 2006 7. I moved to Idaho. Uh, that's where I met my mentor Diana, who taught me a lot of farming business, and then I uh, headed out here to Vermont, where I currently live. Uh, I, I moved here last winter, so it's been about two and a half years of of the farm life.
0: So, is the book all in one place? So, I got the sense that you were so that first year is all in Idaho.
1: It all it was not all written in Idaho. I, I finished up the book in uh, in Vermont, but it all takes place that first year in Idaho. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, and that's really interesting, too, how you ended up... Uh, did you plan to write about it right from the beginning? No,
1: I, I, um, I was doing all this stuff, and I was on the phone with a good friend of mine in Delaware, um, Maryland. Oh she, was, oh, she would be so angry if she knew I called it Delaware. <laughs> <And> <laughs> I was uh, talking with a good friend from Maryland, and uh, we were, she, she, I was just telling her about the stuff with the chickens and uh, learning to bake my first loaf of bread and, and you know, how I was doing all this as a renter who didn't actually own any land, and she just said off the cuff, you know, you should write a book about this. Because I've been, I've been writing a lot, not, not anything as prestigious as a book. But um, I did some research on how one puts together a book proposal, and I just, I just gave it a shot. And uh, Story Publishing bit. You know, they, they, took, that, they took the bid, and, and, uh,
0: and here we are. Well, that's really cool. So did you send it out to several places? To I sent kind of... it out
1: to a couple, but I sent it out to all... Um, places that I knew would take like an unsolicited manuscript and I sent it to places that I knew published exactly this kind of stuff. I didn't I didn't really try to send it to anyone, you know, big and fantastic. It really went to small fantastic places.
0: Well, and that's 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 just smart because, mm-hmm. you know, otherwise you're wasting your effort and postage on uh if you throw out a wide net and then I mean, obviously you played the you played the game right because you have a book now.
1: <laughs> you know. yeah, I don't really believe it yet. I mean, I've, I've seen the book, but I, I mean, it just seems like a very unrealistic thing for me to have done.
0: Yeah, because you were, were you 26 the year? of the No, how old were you the year of the book? I
1: got the, I, I made the book proposal when I was 24. Okay. And I signed the book deal, like the contract on my 25th birthday.
0: That's great.
1: So it, it came out, um, it came out this year while I was 26. So it's been a couple years of a process, but... But here it is. Yeah.
0: So you were on the, you were living in Idaho then when when you got this, um, when you put your, you know, got your book deal. And how far into that first year were you when you were when you knew that okay, yeah, I'm really writing a book about this. Um,
1: it was probably very um, early spring. I had already had some chickens. I already started my garden indoors. I was already spending as much time as I could at my uh, mentor's farm, learning from her, and and I realized I was just. Make, without, without really making any manifesto, just making this entire lifestyle change. And I, I was already very active on my own blog, and I was just, you know, writing about it constantly. And I was you know, my friend pointed out, you're already writing a book about it, it's just not published. So why not pull this stuff together and see if anyone is interested? And so it all takes place in Idaho, yep. And, and I would say I was, I was halfway in. I had my bees ordered. <laughs> I had my... Uh, you know, I had all my stuff in motion when the book, when the book started.
0: Well, and it's such an interesting thing to do because a lot of people in their early twenties, you know, it's, it's not, you don't hear about, especially young women going off and, you know, getting their own property. And I I think a lot of us want that, but maybe we just don't, we hesitate, you know, longer than we should. And I I was really struck by you, you make the decision. And you you go and you do this, and of course we're just seeing everything in this one year snapshot, you know, of your life. Um, but it was really I thought, wow, this is great. And then I'm like, well, I, want, I can't wait to see what happens because I'd like to keep bees, and you know, and I from reading along with your experience, it's it's definitely um, it's a little tricky, <laughs> 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 but but um, you know, it's it's it seems very rewarding nonetheless. And and so for you with the experience of writing the book, did that change at all you think your experience during that second part of you know you have the first half of the year you're just kind of doing your thing and then you get a book deal and you know have another half year that you're really trying to chronicle and and later put together in this book form did it do you think it it changed it or elevated your experience at all since you knew that okay i'm documenting this for people to read later on
1: um i think it, it did in a way but um to be honest, writing. The book was actually a really humbling experience because the the book doesn't hide all the many mistakes that I make. There's there's a lot of things that go wrong with this. It's not just you know happy gardens and chickens you know dancing through the yard. There's there's um there's animals that die. There's beehives that get destroyed. There's you know gardens invaded by slugs. There's it's not it's not all a happy walk in the park. And when you're writing about that like in the winter, after all this happened, mm-hmm. you just shake your head and say to yourself, what was I doing? Because <laughs> like, you learn <laughs> as you go, you know, mostly just from experience, you know, sometimes bad experiences. So um, so, so a lot of mistakes I made in the beginning were made way before and the book was a reality. So I could write about those as they happened, but as things went on, um, with uh, there, was a, there was a kind of sad chapter about... Uh, a death of a, of, a, of a
0: rabbit I was keeping. It's- yeah, I just reread that. Yeah. <laughs> I was I was kind of going back through um, because it's been a while since I, you know, have read. You know, I've read kind of parts of the book, and then and I wanted to make sure I came back to it and had read the whole thing. Um, yeah, I came back to that part, and I was like, man, I, I think one of the things that we the people people do that we we think, oh, we want to have this farm and this massive garden and the you know sheep and all this stuff and it's romanticized in our heads of like this mm-hmm. perfection and this <laughs> wonderful you can almost hear the music playing as your you know the dream rolls you know in your head but at the same time um your book i thought you did a great job of of just revealing what the experience is really like because i think you know when we think about how great it would be to have you know a flock of sheep or you know angora rabbits and these fiber sources right on hand um we don't think about what happens when an animal gets sick or injured or you know that's not part of the romanticized part of this but but i think that i mean i really recommend that if anyone is thinking about going from the um transfer forming themselves from suburbanite to country dweller or you know have property and go you know go totally green with gardening and using less energy reading your book ahead of time just to kind of prepare um, because it is it is a good reality check too that it as you said it's not all just um, skipping around in the fields of flowers you know exactly. I mean that's not what it is you know and um, but I think if anything I think it makes it just—it's real. It comes across as a real experience, and not just. I mean, if you would have left all the parts out that were disappointing or um, the things that didn't come off exactly as you'd planned, um, I don't think the book would be as interesting. Yeah, you probably agree with that.
1: Oh yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I think you're not doing anyone anyone who's interested in planning their first garden this spring or maybe you know looking on Craigslist tonight to see if there, anyone's breeding Angora rabbits in their city. Uh, no one's no one's going to. Uh, be helped at all, if, if all they hear is the happy stuff. I think I think that uh, all the bad things that can happen, you know, like the sweet with the sour. I I, I went through a lot of rough stuff, especially this year in Vermont. Um, I kind of stepped up all my farm adventures. I now do have sheep, and uh, I had a border collie for a short time, and like the entire, uh, the romance of having sheep and a working sheepdog just swept me up, and I was just, going to sheepdog trials, and I was, I finally adopted this amazing dog, and, you know, it it kind of all fell apart, you know, and um, I still have my sheep, of course, but I, I couldn't keep the dog simply because it was a uh, too much, too much dog for a small farm of mine. I only have a couple of sheep, and it just needed more energy, and it ended up, you know, I, I think a bit like four people five times.
0: Oh, no. It, and it
1: wasn't because of violence, it was just so, it constantly wanted to herd and I just didn't have the work for it. So, if I ever get to write a second book, like Made from Scratch Two, <laughs> there will be, <laughs> there'll be more. But um, the dog's now on a full working farm and has a great, a great life up north in the Northeast Kingdom of Vermont. So, it's um, she's she's much better off where she was. But uh, but yeah, there, there's a lot of down stuff that happens with um, kind of crawling uphill on your own dreams. But but after all the Bumps and bruises and trips to the emergency room, and you know all the mistakes I made with the garden, and you know animals that passed away or or everything. I, I the good the good times I've had doing this stuff have, have definitely outweighed the bad. And and I think if you really care about something, I, I think anyone would agree with that. I think mm-hmm. it goes the same for you know working for your first you know 5K. All those horrible runs, you know they they make you know it's worth it when you finally process it. Oh fun.
0: yeah, definitely. Definitely. So,
1: um but 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 yeah. So 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 yeah, it wasn't always great, but uh it all happened. and what didn't happen that was well, you know, hopefully that'll serve someone who uh is out there starting their own first garden or getting their own first bees, you know, they'll learn from my mistakes.
0: And I made the same mistake you did when um it came to my first garden. I decided I wasn't going to start with small garden. I was going to do it 20 by 20. Now imagine that I'm, I'm in suburbia, you know, I was Mm -hmm. in a different house. I had a little bit bigger backyard, but it was absolutely insane. And I did it on an overcast day. So my husband and I are out there turning the soil Um, which is essentially just clay. Um, (laughs) And we're out there. I mean, it was a disaster. Like the part where you're talking about, like trying to remove the grass from the area that you wanted to garden. I was like, oh my gosh, I totally can identify with that. The calloused hands. I didn't think Mm -hmm. to wear gloves either. And this, it was just a massive area, way much, way larger than I needed. And um, when the sun came out the next day, the sun was not even shining on the garden. I mean, it was, like, partially in the sun, but most of it the house was blocking. It was ap- It was an absolute disaster. There was only full-on sun for a very limited amount of t- time. And this is something, in, 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 when you get the seed catalogs and you're all excited, sometimes in your haste, you know, you just go out and you're like, okay, I'm making my garden. I'm going to mm-hmm. do this stuff. And I, I thought that, you know, the points, you know, the things that you did and, and The thing, the tips you give, because I think the structure of the book is interesting, too, because you talk about kind of what tell people kind of what you did. How it went, and then okay, here's some stuff. He, the next section always is, you know, here's what, here here's some tips for you, and um, you build some authority and street cred with your reader because we get to see, okay, this this woman really, she did this, she lived it, and I am gonna listen to her because she knows she's been through, she's been through a, a little bit here. Um, so I thought that was really interesting. But yeah, I had to laugh about the garden part because I was like, yep, I, I did that because you did a pretty big garden too or tried to. Oh, I, I
1: tried and it's funny because people who if you don't garden and you're listening to this, you may hear 20 feet and be like, what? That's my living room. Like, right, that's nothing. right. Like, I can walk across that in four seconds, you know? Yeah. Which but... is true, but <laughs> when you're out there with hand tools trying to, you know, fight the earth, it's, it's, not, oh, it's yeah. not a walk in the park unless you have...
0: A rototiller or exactly. something. Yeah, and we didn't. I mean, we were just we trying to do not. this. I never did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I it's absolutely insane. Yeah, I still don't either. And then I ended up doing the raised beds, and they were like, I think... Um, like four by four or six by six or something I mean it was it was very small. i think four by four four by six, I can't remember, but it was much, much smaller than the, exactly. the yeah and it and it worked out great, but it's just um and I moved them to the other side of the yard, I made sure I paid careful attention to where the sun was, yeah. um you know beginners mistakes, um and then you went to you got a little braver and went to um was it beekeeping next I think so, yeah, yeah.
1: It, it, so it, it's not really it's written in some order of of the seasons. It, it kind of the garden was kind of point 1. Well, chickens were point 1 and then and then the garden was next and then beekeeping was what followed. suit. you always install your bees in late April or May no matter where you live in in the country and and uh beekeeping was something I really wanted to do, but it's it's like it's like the garden it's something you read about and get so excited about and mm-hmm. you're, you know you're you're getting carried away and you're looking at beekeeper shirts on Etsy that are really cool <laughs> I'm so excited about this new life as a beekeeper and and then the day comes where you have to install the hive, and you're you're terrified. Even if you're not scared of bees, you're terrified because you're holding ten thousand of them.
0: Yeah, even though I know I knew you lived because you wrote a book. You know, I figured <laughs> I know she lives. I know this ends well. But I was like, oh my gosh, I wonder what's going to happen now. I mean, because I was really worried about you. And I'm like, you know, uh, I was actually reading the book at the gym. I'm on a like elliptical machine, and mm-hmm. it's you know trying not to get too dizzy. And um, <laughs> you know, I'm just like, oh no, I hope she's okay. You know, it's, but yeah, that. There was some suspense there, even for me as a reader um
1: <laughs> well i was I was in a lot of suspense I can especially. imagine well my my uh the person who was teaching me about a lot of this stuff, Diana was telling me the first time she installed these, she had nine crawl into her uh into her head net like oh her my mask of her oh veil, my gosh and they they all stung her neck oh so geez. she had to you know she was in a bad way and and so uh, like it, it would be if I could see myself. Then now I would be laughing hysterically over how but I had like four layers of shirts on with the beekeeping jacket over it with like all my cuffs tucked in i was I was so worried that this would all turn its back on me and, and none of the books I've read talked about what happened when you actually installed the bees. They just said install the bees and showed you how <laughs> and none of them said, "Oh, they come at you, they fly out they, they didn't tell any of you that that stuff so That was the one thing I wanted this book to explain. What happens when you dump bees into a box that don't want to be in a box?
0: Right, right.
1: Nothing happens. I'm sorry to ruin the suspense, but they they all go into their hive, and they're usually so drugged by the smoke and happy not to be in a box anymore that they go to work on these combs that are already sprayed with beeswax. They kind of know their job, but, man, I was was nerve-wracked. And uh, this year, one of my coworkers decided to get bees, and so I, I installed her hive, too and I got a little too brassy um, and didn't use the smoker on her hive, and oh I, got, I got one sting.
0: Okay. Uh, and
1: so, uh, so but, uh, yeah, yeah, it was, it was, it, it, it was, it was kind of scary at some points, but, you know, I'm, I'm, I still have bees here in Vermont, and they're doing off better than my ones in Idaho.
0: So how long do the bees live then?
1: If they're in the part of the brood that is here for the fall, their, their lifespan goes from a couple of weeks to about six months.
0: Okay, and they just continue to repopulate then?
1: Yeah, they repopulate. They eat whatever honey they made, and and hopefully they made enough this first year to get them through this winter. And this spring, when things are in bloom again, I'm going to add another layer to the hive, and that'll be for me. So this will actually be, if, if I'm lucky, the first year I'm able to extract.
0: Oh, wow, that's exciting. It is exciting. It's yeah. really exciting. Yeah, there's a guy that I work with that... Um, He's in another department, but I know he comes through and he, he asks, you know, if anyone wants to order honey from him. And I haven't gone out to see, like, I'm totally going to probably do, try to do a podcast or something about, you know, about how, it, you know, extracting or something about beekeeping and honey. Because I'm totally intrigued. Um, been kind of obsessed with the idea of keeping bees after realizing, oh, somebody else that works here. <laughs> has, has been. Yeah, because it kind of makes it, uh, it seem possible. And I know you met, you actually met Diana At work, in a corporate Mm -hmm. setting, which was really interesting, too, because I'm thinking, oh, she must have been at, like, a fiber festival or something when she met. And that's really interesting, too, because it was someone with a corporate job that you could relate to who had this, like, really cool life at home.
1: Yeah. And, you know, a lot of people don't realize it because, I mean, beekeeping, chickens, and gardening is not something you usually wear on your sleeve. It's just a part of people's lives. So you'd be surprised, no matter where you work, there's probably someone uh, and if maybe not where you work, maybe someone's, maybe a uh, you know a kid's parent at your school that mm-hmm. you kind of know that there's usually just a couple degrees of separation between you and and someone who's doing some form of homesteading. And I think if you're polite and not you know a fear biter, but they'll they'll happily have you come over and and show you what you do. But um, I mean, the first step if you're interested in bees would be to just you know talk to your coworker and say, can I come, can I come watch you this spring? Mm-hmm. All hive. Can I? you know, be a part of this process. And I, I think if you watch it from the ground up you get a little more you know, you get a little more wind in your sails you get excited to take it on yourself. But well, I don't know what your rules are on your in your own Yeah,
0: I fear that they're probably not uh real conducive to that. Um yeah, I caused a big firestorm just by um having two kayaks under my deck oh, which goodness. I didn't think were which I didn't think were were visible, you know. Um so yeah, I got an uh, uh, an official neighborhood association letter for that, and um, yeah, people didn't realize listening to the show that I am a rebel. Um, I, I am a rule breaker um, when it comes to my neighborhood association. Yeah, so we promptly took care of that problem. But um, yeah, it's crazy. I have resisted the urge to put to um, install the. Um, kayaks in the snow for christmas with some lights and maybe oh, like a merry said, christmas yeah. between the two can you imagine <laughs> i mean so i have all these like really really um kind of sassy ideas that go through my head but i i try not to i mean i have small children so i really don't want to like draw any fire you know from sure. <laughs> but i have these wild so if the movie version will include some of these sassy responses <laughs> to, to what happens but um yeah so so yeah i think it's it's great that that you you just seem to have that natural curiosity that kind of leads you to, you know, inquire about, you know, you find people that are doing things you're interested in, and it's led you on quite an adventure. What, what did the people in your family and in your life um, before you became a homesteader, um, what did the people think when you said, okay, I'm, I'm going to get a little property, I'm going to rent, you know, rent farmland, and I'm going to do these things? I mean, were people surprised, or did they kind of expect that this is something that you would eventually do?
1: Um, I don't know if they were – they were definitely – Not on board. They weren't, weren't, uh, you know, in any way derogatory or disrespectful. But I got a lot of the same question. And the same question I got from family and some friends were, like, why? Like, why do this? You can can go buy bread and honey and eggs at the grocery store (laughs) for less money than it costs for you to buy one really good, like, garden rake. Like, why are you putting your... Like, the question was, it was more confused, and I think it was more... Uh, concern, really. My, my, my parents are sweet, wonderful people, but the idea that their daughter was living in a farmhouse by herself in the middle of northern Idaho with, you know, all these things going on, you know, a hive of bees, you know, you know, living alone, the fact that there's still grizzly bears in that area, it just made them nervous. So, uh,
0: yeah, and rightfully so. I, yeah. you know, I, I think you and I, if our child was doing that too, you know, we would probably be a little,
1: a little concerned. concerned yeah. yeah, just a little but, concerned.
0: Yeah, and where do they live? Where do your parents live?
1: They live in the same town I grew up in. They live in Palmerton, Pennsylvania. Which okay. Is a, a little, you know, a small town in an you know, hour and a half north of Philadelphia. Okay. And uh, uh, I think now they have come full circle and, and just know that this is what I, what I want to do indefinitely. So, I mean, they met my, they came to visit this summer up to the farm here in Vermont and... My mom absolutely adored the sheep, and so <laughs> she thought they were fantastic. So,
0: so the sheep won her over.
1: They, the sheep won her over.
0: And yeah. so you have, you said, how many do you have? I have three sheep, right Okay, now. and do you have them named?
1: Well, they came with names. Oh, they, they came, came with, with? They came with the names uh, Sal, Marvin, and Maude. Oh, uh, <laughs> I love it. I have a blog where I kind of keep everyone up to date, and I think everyone who reads the blog has a secret affinity for Maude, the very angry sheep Uh, (laughs) likes me very much
0: so
1: but everyone else seems to get along fine here
0: yeah and so have you been able to um have you done anything with any fleeces yet not yet i got them
1: just this past uh late august early september okay i actually brought them to
0: the farm in the back of my car oh my gosh really all three wait wait all three all three sheep at once yeah, if and you, yeah, what kind of car are you driving? In the back of a Subaru Forester. Oh, that's hilarious! <laughs> yeah, I have
1: some great photos. I'll have to send them to you. Oh my but, goodness!
0: Uh, you've had a lot of livestock and or wild animals in I your, have. The back of my car, car, car has
1: seen much wildlife and farm animals.
0: Yeah, because uh, you've picked up uh, little chickens from the little chicks from the post office and yeah. all kinds of stuff. My goodness! So it's just a uh, you know, and that's that's really cool too, though, because I think a lot of times people think, okay. I don't have an official uh, sheep transporting vehicle Therefore, I cannot have sheep. You know, it's just like you're just kind of finding, you're making do with what you have. I don't even have a pickup truck. Are you kidding me? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, your station wagon. <laughs> yeah, but hey, it's working. You know, it is. Yeah. Was it fun. hard to get sheep into a station wagon? No, it's like getting a very stubborn Saint Bernard into, into a station anything? wagon. Okay. Okay. To like lift
1: it up by its front feet and then give it a kick, and you know, <laughs> not a kick, but you know, lift up its back legs. And <laughs> a
0: gentle tap to the rear. Yes, <laughs> exactly. And, you,
1: know, <laughs> you know, we get, it was it was it was actually easier than I thought it would be. We just kind of put them in and then they just kind of laid in the back and bought as we went over the 20 miles back to my uh to the farm but yeah the sheep were sheep are the least work of all the animals i have here they're, they're pretty low maintenance
0: yeah they just want to be fed and yeah, then pretty much left alone fresh along.
1: water and a dry warm place to sleep and they're set
0: and they do their thing so are you do you have plans for the the fleeces when you um get to get your first uh, you have your first shearing
1: first shearing is this spring yep um since I have such few sheep and there's other people around my neighborhood that have sheep, we're going to uh, kind of find a day where we can get a, a sheep shearer to come. And I, I don't have the skills yet to shear my own sheep. I'm going to take a class this summer for sure. Uh, what's great is that no matter where you live, you probably have a, a state extension that offers all oh, sorts mm-hmm. of agricultural classes.
0: Yeah, which is really great.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, so we you're going to all take those. But this year, um, the, the plan is to keep you know, a good chunk of the fleece here to process by myself on site. You know, everything from washing to carding to spinning to dyeing to knitting. Like, the whole process will happen here. But I'm hoping this year to do um, to do the whole beginning to end process for a hat and a scarf, which I'm hoping to wear to feed the sheep that fall and winter. That
0: oh, that'll that. be cool.
1: Yeah, that'll, that'll be my, that's my own personal Goal for this block, but what what I don't process on site will be sent to a really small wool mill where you bag and number your stuff, and then you are sent back um, yarn and or if you order it wool blankets from your own fleeces. So
0: mm-hmm.
1: hopefully, um, we'll have some warm stuff here. Well, that'll site. be fun. But uh, yeah, I, I'm brand I'm brand new to. I've been knitting for a while, but I've never really learned the other side, the processing and spinning.
0: So yeah, I went to. Uh, Fiber festival here in Michigan, and bought uh, a fleece. And I actually bought it from my husband's aunt. Raises sheep, and so I. I It's actually his great aunt. I bought a fleece from her, and I thought. And she was telling me, she's like, well, you know, it's a little bit of work to clean it. I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, whatever, you know. Uh I can totally handle this. Um, (laughs) Oh, my goodness. (laughs) It is a lot of work to clean it. And, um, yeah, I washed it, like, I think 5,000 times, um, you know, kind of did this, like, hand washing process. I washed part of it in, like, in the washing machine, and then I was so – it was just – yeah. And then I ended up drying it on a screen and realizing there was still quite a bit of oil in there. Uh You can spin it in the grease, um, but I just thought, you know, that's kind of, feels kind of gross to me. Um, sure. So you want to process it. yeah, so what I did is I kind of I dried it and then I kind of boxed it up and haven't looked at it since. So I need to get back <laughs> in there. <laughs> Who knows the kind of funkiness is growing in there? Um, yeah, no, I think it should be fine because it was fully dry. I just got to a point where I'm like, okay, I need to regroup and come back to this. <laughs> and then I just started spinning the processed wool that I had instead. But, um, but I think that it would be a, a much more um, – it's going to be a really special experience for you and that it's, they're your sheep. I think that's going to be really cool to actually know the sheep – that you're going to be um, making this cool stuff, you know, um, go from sheep to scarf. I was going to say shawl, but you're going from s- sheep to scarf and hat, and then go back out and feed those sheep. That's going to be fun.
1: That's, that's the goal. That's what I'm hoping for. Yeah. You never know what's going to happen. You never know if, you know, there's a million things that can go wrong, so you don't want to get too ahead of yourself. Or yeah.
0: Well, thing. I think that sounds like a pretty uh, reasonable thing, you know, unless, um, you know, I don't know, someone steals the the sheep or something which Yeah, well, I, think... I mean,
1: it's it's silly to say that, but I mean, they could get loose and, you know, get run down by a neighbor's dog, you know. There there's a lot of things that can go wrong with life. Well, see,
0: and that's that's are you the type of person? I know for me, like I worry I have an Alaskan Malamute, and when I leave my house, you know, for whether I'm going to work or we're going to a, a you know going to be gone for the day or whatever I'm always worried about my, my aunt you know my, this dog I'm like oh you know it's really cold we got to make sure she's inside but I don't want to be inside for too long and I'm just imagining like my husband was laughing when he hears me say that oh yeah I'd like to have a sheep he's like are you kidding me <laughs> you worry so much about the dog I mean if you had more creatures to worry about I mean <laughs> it's really but I mean you' sort of like your family I mean do you feel that way about your animals? Um, I do I mean I have two dogs that are
1: absolutely my roommates I always say that Jazz Nanny aren't dogs they're just roommates that are broke
0: without, you know, without cars. Yeah. <laughs> so they're just kind of always hanging out right there. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So I, I'm really attached to them. Um, I love the chickens. I mean, the chickens here I raised from chicks right here on the farm, and, and uh, the sheep I've had, I mean, I got them as adults, but I've, I've really got When you only have three sheep, you really get to know their personality mm-hmm. from spending time with them every day. But there is a little bit of a, a distance Um, With me, with some of the animals. I mean, I know that the chickens are here for eggs, and that you know, that's really their job. And if some, I actually haven't lost any chickens yet. But if I did, it wouldn't be a, you know, an awful traumatic experience. Mm, It wouldn't be like losing one of my dogs. But yeah. But uh, this year, I actually raised a Thanksgiving turkey for my family, and I went through the entire process of you know having a day-old turkey to having, you know, going with it to the day that it went to get processed. You know, and, and. and even helping out in, in that process.
0: Oh, goodness. And it
1: was, yeah, it was, it was quite an experience. Were you
0: okay? I mean, was it okay? I mean, because I, I know how you reacted with the, you know, another situation in your book. We won't give it away, but where you, ha- you lost one of your animals. And, you know, it was it well, how was that, the Thanksgiving? Cause well, I, I-, I
1: went into it from day one knowing that this was, I mean, my thought was I'm personally a vegetarian, but my family certainly isn't. And I would feel better as someone who, who isn't for animal cruelty to to bring them an animal that I know had this amazing outdoor free range, completely organic life and uh, what happened was uh this turkey was gorgeous and it was a, a very clean, quick um, peaceful end to its life when that came it, it, I was fine with it I was you know I helped pluck the feathers but
0: didn't plucked, no, did you actually put the animal down then or did, no I no. some neighbors who actually raised
1: you know rearranged turkeys.
0: Oh, okay. So they, they uh, did, professionals
1: it. did it. I, the last thing I wanted to do was botch that job.
0: Oh, life. right, right.
1: So, um, I watched and learned and everything, but, but no, I mean, I was okay with it. The, the, the irony to it all was my family refused to eat it after the animal was processed. They, they were too wigged out at the idea that they had seen pictures of this bird on the blog. And when they visited, they saw it walking around and therefore to them, it was like, you know, eating the family dog. Really? So I ended up uh, trading it for herding lessons with a with a sheepdog training instructor in Massachusetts.
0: Oh, wow. So it went
1: to her family and, and, and it certainly wasn't a wasted,
0: right, a right. wasted life. Right, right. So but, you go through all that trouble. <laughs> try. Well, I was actually going
1: to be my first non-vegetarian meal in, you know, over half a decade. I was planning on having a little bit just out of respect for, for the animal and uh, uh, no, it didn't happen. They just, they, they got a butterball. They did not want to know the animal which is, you know, that's one of the things when you when you when you dive into homesteading or providing any food for yourself, you're so wrapped up in the process because it's something you want to take part in. You right. want to grow that food from right. the seed. You want to have chickens and you know have their eggs. And and so you're kind of in love with the romance, even even the bad times of having a farm. You just expect other people will be just as excited as you are. Mm-hmm. And one of the things you learn is, oh, that I learned was to really drop that righteousness because, that, you know, that self-righteousness because not everyone wants to know what's on their plate. You know, some people just prefer to not think about what's, you know, on those styrofoam trays. To them it's just a different shaped piece of broccoli, you know. Right. so So I learned the hard way that, you know, not everyone wants a uh, organic free-range turkey for Thanksgiving. Some would rather just, you know, get the butterball because they never met the bird. Right. So that was like a... I was shocked, but I was also, you know, really humbled. You know, that put me in my place. You know, you can't get too preachy about this stuff because you're you're not really helping anyone.
0: Well, I think, too, I mean, th- that's one of the things that, as a society, most of us are so far removed from raising our food mm-hmm. that it's easy to kind of block, like, be like, okay, I'm getting the styrofoam, the turkey on the styrofoam in the styrofoam container from the grocery store and not think about you know what kind of life did that turkey have was it a free range or was it held captive in a small area its entire life fattened up with who knows what injections and then killed you know I mean because that's a very unpleasant thing to think about but at the same time um I think more of us need to think about that you know a little bit more and it's really yeah I can imagine that well I covered us I was at doing a story about stray voltage on a farm they raise cows and I had gone out there, and I was hanging out with this family for you know. I'd be spending like whole days out there, and uh, one of the thing, one day they you know took a break for lunch. Well, they took a break for lunch every day. This wasn't really a special thing, but they uh-huh. one person went out, and uh, one of the sons, you know, this family of farmers, one of the the sons went out and got some Wendy's, you know. And they asked me, you know, do you want something? They came back with all these burgers, and they used the hood of the pickup truck as like the table, you know, and everyone's standing around eating. And we were standing right by the pen where with the cows the were, and I could eat fries, I could drink the Coke, but I could not eat a burger. And and they laughed at me. I just said, I can't do it. We're right by the cows. And they're like, they don't know. I'm like, I just feel really weird about this. And I, I'm not a vegetarian, uh-huh. um, but I was just like, I couldn't, I mean, as a city girl, I I mean, I don't think about where the burgers come from as much as the people who raise <laughs> sure. who raise the cattle for it to be processed but you know so for me i was like and it really freaked me out a little bit like, how can you guys eat this right in front of them? And they're like, they don't know. I mean, this is, it's not like they're advanced creature. And I'm just like, well, how do you know they don't know? I mean, I was just totally freaked out, like city girl, you know, and they thought that was really hilarious. But um, it's just one of those things where, you know, we, we just, I mean, a lot of us just don't even think about it. And so I think I can understand where this would change your whole perspective entirely to be raising the animals and, witnessing the whole process it does give you a whole nother you know respect for for um you know the whole the whole process of of you know how food is gets on our plate you know because we just
1: yeah absolutely and and it did i mean two years of i mean i'm in no way a full-fledged farmer but two years of making the care of farm animals part of my life has changed my perspective on them i'm there's no way I would have raised an animal for the table my first year because I had a whole different, a whole different attitude about farming. But um, Diana, my mentor, had a working um, free-range cattle and chicken and egg farm. And while the, the bulk of the money they made on the farm was, you know, free-range eggs, they had beef cattle. And um, I don't know, I, I never, ever ate any of the, uh, the Carlin's meat just because in my mind, you know, I'm still a vegetarian, but I realize now as someone more involved in sustainable food and, and, you know, small farms that if you're going to eat meat, that's like the absolute best kind to eat because it it lived this amazing, great life outdoors with people attending to it, you know, personally every day and, you know, all week. So I kind of was... Well, that's another thing I learned as a vegetarian... And someone who's really interested in in animal welfare, when when you are a vegetarian, you're not actually doing that much to help the animals you're not eating, because you're not spending your money, your your voting dollars on free range or sustainable farmed meat. Right. So it's actually if you are out there and you love to have a good burger and you don't want to think about. That burger, when that's fine. That's fine.
0: <laughs> <But> <laughs> now everyone's thinking, now everyone's totally thinking about that burger,
1: though. Exactly. I hope no one's eating a
0: burger right now, because, you know, it's going to be real tough. Tar- well, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's just, it's, you know, there, there's a lot to be
1: said for spending the extra couple dollars on, you know, free-range, sustainable food products, because that animal's quality of you know, quality of life is what you're spending that extra money on. And the more people who do support those businesses the more humanely food animals will be treated in the country, which is kind of a big deal to me. As someone who, who wants to have a life of raising animals, you know, for people's tables, I, I think it's important to support the people who are doing it correctly.
0: So, so do you feel like this lifestyle, like homesteading and CSA farms and just um, the whole... People becoming more aware and wanting to be more connected to their their food and how it's brought to the table, I mean do you think this is growing? i mean people are growing the interest is growing in this, or do you think that this is something that um that it's kind of about the same as i don't know if you've met people um or anyone's told you that younger people seem to be getting more interested in this
1: I think awareness about food has become much more mainstream i think I think thirty or even Twenty or ten years ago, nobody really thought of words like local or slow food. I mean, these are relatively new fads for very old ways of eating. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, I think awareness is becoming almost almost trendy among people. And the more people lean towards, you know, greener and sustainable living, the more you know generally better eating habits go hand in hand with that. I mean, I mean, making food is what we do with our resources. That's how we all get by. So yeah, I, I think it is growing. I, I, think, uh, I think now with the way technology is, you know, ironically, the internet is getting more and more people interested in farming.
0: Right, because you can go and check out, you know, b- blogs and read about other people who are doing some of these things. And I'm sure people like, I mean, I'm sure you've inspired a whole a delegation of people to uh, kind of take the plunge. Who, people who were on the fence I think you helped push them off on the other side <laughs> You yeah, know, I
1: can't express enough if you're listening to this and you're thinking like I don't know, garden, chickens I mean eh, it, it, it's such it, it's, an old, it's a job, it's, it's extra work but it's, it's not this like grueling, debilitating lifestyle. I think that's the main thing I
0: want to express.
1: You can still have a dairy go and watch a daily show
0: <laughs> Is that what you do? I, I mean, um, you don't have a goat, but you... I
1: don't have a goat. But, but I mean, yeah, I, I, I try to... I'm, I'm definitely a pop culture junkie. I definitely um, can't live without, you know, buying a new CD every week. You know, I just... I'm, I'm, I feel very tuned in to uh, what's going on in the modern world, but, I mean, I spend my 40 hours of work week as a web designer, you know, strapped in front of the Internet. So it's really nice to come home and feed the sheep and light a fire in the fireplace and play the fiddle and, you know, get some eggs and make dinner and just, you know, almost have the opposite life of where I work all day. So I don't know. You can have your cake and eat it, too, if you're not too fussy about your cake.
0: (laughs) Yeah, well, that's a good point. So, so for you, uh, where do you plan to take this next? Because you've, you know, kind of, um, it seems like you keep adding things as you go, and that's usually how it happens. You know, people kind of, you know, get a little more brave about what they're doing. So, well,
1: um, I'm really hoping that my landlord lets me renew my lease here, and that um, I can kind of keep expanding the garden and uh, continuing with the, with the egg-laying, you know, hens and, and the geese and all the animals that I have here right now, shear the sheep, work on my fiber stuff this summer. Uh, the goal is sometime if I can ever, you know, get myself to that, to that status to afford to actually buy land. Um, I'm, I'm certainly nowhere near that now. Uh, someday I would love to be able to purchase a couple of acres and, you know, a small place and, and have a place of my own to start raising, uh, uh, so you know I'm hoping to raise organic or sustainably raised lambs and have a full working sheep farm
0: oh wow, so
1: the goal is to be a full time writer and shepherdess in my life that's that's kind of the big goal just to write and herd sheep, which is is not a very popular way to live among twenty year olds in modern America, but that's what I'm, that's what i'm that's what I'm aiming for
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I think it sounds great though, and I think that um yeah, I mean, it, go for it. You know I, that's wonderful. I am definitely trying. Yeah, so you have. I mean, and what what do you have? What you obviously you've you've taken some steps by just kind of putting yourself out there with this book and with your blog, kind of as somebody that's living this life. And um, what kind of feedback do you get from the people that have read your book and then read your blog? Uh, most
1: of the time, it's positive. I would say a lot of folks who read it um, are reading about. Uh, the whole point of writing the book was to get people who kind of think about this stuff but never actually took the next step past, like, the pamphlet reading. You know, the whole point is to show the experience that I had and, and, and kind of explain how attainable this is. Um, so I actually, some of the, the things I've gotten from people are they sent me photos of the first loaf of bread they made right in their own kitchen, or they sent uh, uh, someone from Alaska mail me uh, hand-crochets scarf or a shawl I'm sorry a shawl that uh she hadn't crocheted in years and after reading the book she just wanted to make something
0: oh wow and she sent sent it to you To me,
1: and it was just so touching to see these people's breads and shawls and to see that people are out there you know kind of taking back some of that stuff they haven't done in a while so it's it's been pretty positive generally the the statement is well now I want bees or now I want chickens or you know it doesn't seem like that that rough and the truth is it's not. I mean, this is a lifestyle almost all of our grandparents had just out of necessity.
0: Right. So
1: if you didn't live and your family isn't from, you know, the Brooklyn for ten generations, there's a there's a good chance that, you know, somewhere in everyone's history they have farming roots.
0: Mhm.
1: So uh yeah, um if you're listening to this and I don't know that much about Michigan, but I know like Chicago and Memphis and New York City and uh a bunch of other cities—Portland, Seattle—they all allow chickens right in the city.
0: That's awesome. So uh, this spring,
1: some of you guys might find yourself uh, carrying out water to, to some of your own birds. You never know.
0: Yeah, well, and it's—it's. It's, I mean, that's got to be quite an experience too to have fresh eggs. And as you say, they taste way better than the, the store-bought variety. They do, so Yeah, I'm
1: kind of spoiled now. <laughs> there was a time um, between moving to Idaho in the winter. And uh, moving from Idaho in the winter, here to Vermont, that um, for, for two months there was no chickens here. Just none at all. There was no baby chickens.
0: So you had to buy eggs? I
1: had to buy eggs. And um, even though you buy, like, you try to buy the best eggs you can. but right. I don't know. It was just so, I felt, like, so poor. I felt like I was <laughs> an impoverished person because I didn't have chickens. I was, like, like it was, like, um, you know, I, I just felt so Unwealthy because I didn't have this resource that I was so used to having in the backyard. It was like it made me despondent to pick up the carton at the grocery store because <laughs> I cause you, it's like I lost a little bit of that self-reliance I had. So I was so happy when I had those those silly little birds running around the yard again because it was like having you know the blood flowing, the place resuscitated again.
0: Yeah, well, I think there's something great about just being able to be self-reliant. I can't build a tank or an airplane or a car, but I can take raw wool and make, you know, a shawl or a blanket or, you know, I know what to do with it. You know, I can spin it. I can, I have a little trouble cleaning it, but it might be a dirty shawl or a dirty blanket. But, but, you know, I mean, there's, there's quite a sense of accomplishment when you know you can take a stack of fabric and make it into a quilt or, you know, you grow your own garden and something actually, you know, you can actually eat the tomatoes that you, you tried to grow. Um, I have lost a lot of plants over the years, but, um, you know, I, I get better each year at just being able to get things to actually live and survive. And it is, it's it's an, a feeling of accomplishment that I really, it's. I don't think there's anything, when it comes to being able to actually feed your family, from food you get from the backyard. There's something so cool about that. If you make the strawberry smoothie and you grew those strawberries, it is such. it tastes so much better, you know. Oh, absolutely. So I think it's wonderful that you've kind of made us all pine for some of those things because I think, you know, if more people, like, I I don't know about you, but I'm just I think front lawns, like manicure lawns are for the birds. Like and that's why probably why I don't fit in so well in my neighborhood (laughs) association. I would love and I mean this would be really like starting a war in my neighborhood, but instead of having watching people pour like chemicals, like pay people in this truck of mysteriousness, you know, pulls up and the guy comes out in a little uniform and sprays who knows what on the lawn. I'd like to see these things dug up and just make little um gardens in the front yard um obviously you'd have to maintain it so it's not like a big weed infestation but i mean i think that would look i mean that would be kind of cool and to be able to actually have corn right from your yard you know i mean that's how i'd like to see you know lawns being used but um i think i might be a a little ahead of my time for the area where i live well you know what you never
1: know yeah even if you can't have I mean, I'm sure there's no rules about what you can grow in your windowsill.
0: No, and I have I grow lettuce on my front porch in little window boxes. Right. Or little little boxes that hang right on the railing there. Yeah, I I love that. And it's so fun to go out and clip the lettuce and then come in and make a make a salad right with what you've got off your front porch. I mean, it's so fun. And I think one of the points you make in your book, um, that for those who live in apartments or in small spaces, um, you do talk about some of the ways that people can still have a little garden, um, even if it's one, you know, tomato plant, you know, on your deck or, you know, just out the, you know, right outside your door. I mean, that there's still, you're going to get satisfaction from that. Um, you know, it's so much more fun than going to the grocery store and, <laughs> and buying a tomato. So I'm
1: sure. And, and even if you, um, I mean, you can live in the heart of Manhattan, but there's no rule saying you can't get your, you know, tomatoes at a farmer's market that were grown. Exactly, exactly. Farm, and take them home in your apartment and can them and make your own sauce, you know. You can uh, still bake bread in, you know, a Chicago high-rise. There's 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 no real rules about these farm skills, about where they can go. You can still sew a really, you know, awesome skirt in any apartment. I, there's a lot of skills that... I mean, farm animals aside, not all of us can have a flock of chickens or a giant garden. But, mm-hmm. but all of us can kind of take back our kitchens and, and, and learn to shop a little more smartly and, you know, support people who are kind of living the way you want to live or, or, or producing food the way you'd like to see it produced. And, and so, you know, you may not be able to have, you know, rows and rows of corn in, in your in your community. You, you know, you sh- there's no rules saying what you can... You know, buy at farmers markets, take home and can and set aside.
0: Right, and I think it's you can vote with your money. You know yeah. how you spend your money um, can really help support. You know the the you know CSA farm down the street. I know my my family. We joined just um, past summer for the first time. We were members of a CSA farm, and that was really a cool experience. You know because you get see the same people on the pickup day. You know, and you go home with all this really cool stuff that. I mean, there were vegetables I had not even, you know, I was like, wow, I've never tried this. But, you know, it's like you you figure out how, what, how to cook it, and there's, at first you're like, whoa, what do I even do with this? You know, but it's such a fun experience when you try something new, and it tastes great, and the kids are even eating it. <laughs> you
1: know, yeah, but look at that, I mean... Look what you gained from that. You probably learned a bunch of new recipes, and
0: yeah, like and that. I think it's the great thing about it is I didn't have to have the stress of trying to grow something because you, as you said in your book, sometimes you get carried away with the seed packet. You know, you order like you know, I did this too. I ordered all kinds of different wild varieties of of plants and so forth. And I didn't, I wasn't successful with raising all of those to a maturity, and it was disappointing where I can, um, if you belong to a CSA farm and you you have a farmer that's been doing this for years, um, it's definitely another way to ensure that you're going to get, you know, if the climate and the weather cooperate, Mother Nature's on board with the plan, you're going to get a great harvest, and it's really fun. Yeah. Yeah,
1: and I think the CSA movement is really is really growing. I, uh, when I took my uh, sheep 101 class this past uh, spring, there was people there who uh, who actually ran a, a meat CSA. They had a big farm, and they people, you know, you put their money in the pot, and then you know every month they got a you know a freezer full of you know fresh organic free range meats. And, and I I didn't really know much about the meat side of CSAs, but they were here to learn about their 50 lambs they just got the night before, so it was uh, it's it's interesting to see all the all the ways you can kind of get more involved with your food.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you're right. You don't have to have like rolling acres, you know, and a home in the country to do that. And I think that's one of the great things about what you're doing is you're kind of showing people what they can do right now without having to wait to come into t- loads of cash and buy a hundred acre farm, you know, yeah, because for a lot of us that might not be. How things shake out, you know, but to be able to know that you can have that great experience of being a little more self-sufficient. You also talk about in your book how you try to, when you need supplies for your kitchen, you head to the antique store before the the um, kitchen section at the the local department store.
1: Oh, absolutely! I'm I'm kind of addicted to old stuff. I, I think um, we had a saying with my friends. I used to go antique with my friends all the time in school uh, back in college, and the rule was no plastic. Dishware and nothing without a cloth cord in the kitchen because <laughs> we just we just liked it. We just and and the more the more you like kind of involve yourself with these older things, you, you realize how much better they were made because they were made with stuff that could like fall down a flight of stairs and if it fell apart, you know a, you know, a screwdriver could put it back together. Right. You know, and today if, if you're a, you know coffee make, coffee maker falls off a high shelf and you know the plastic cracks you have to buy a new one, you know, you're right. not going to take it to the plastic welder, you know, and really? it's, it's done, it's trash,
0: and you're right. adding to
1: those landfills, but, you know, yeah, I love old stuff, I think it's the coolest way to recycle, is to go out to a junk store and find, you know, a set of really great, you know, glasses for your kitchen, That you know, instead of going out and, you know, spending, you know, you might, you might spend $5 on old antique glassware, but you'll, you know, instead of $2 on plastic at Walmart, but, you know, it's cool. And it's it's been around forever, it has a history and has probably been through a world war two and now you can drink out of it.
0: Right, and you don't have to worry about the toxins that might be coming off the plastic into your water. Exactly. <laughs> so
1: <laughs> so like there's what dyes are gonna cause right, your there's, eye to grow.
0: There's know? also that peace of mind of of not feeling like you're risking your life with each sip, you know. <laughs> so yeah. is true. It's
1: kinda of scary how things are mass produced. I mean I mean, look at the summer we had we had it like Ebola and spinach and, you know, problems with deathly tomatoes and people were getting sick or even some people died because of food poisoning from, you know, improperly managed mass-produced foods. So there's a little bit of, you know, just personal relief. I mean, I, at least I know I can always have a healthy omelet because I know where those chickens have been, you know.
0: Right, right. And
1: so so it's, it's, not a, it's not a big victory, but it's a, it's a quiet thrill to know that there's always something you know, around the farm here that, that, uh, can support me.
0: Yeah. I'm so into, I, I'm with the cold as it is, I'm trying, I'm just, I, I don't know if I'm going to. are for that gardener. I yeah. am. Yeah, I really am. And it's yeah. kind of, uh, hilarious because the subject of uh, hydroponics came up at work. I was I sit next to the garden editor, and I was like, "Man, I really want to get one of those systems." But then I looked online, and they're so expensive. Like, so I'm like, "I need to come up with a makeshift hydroponics uh, thing." And then of course, the neighborhood association probably will think I'm growing weed or something. Oh, about I know. putting I, I
1: a grow light to work, and you, you get all the you get all the pot jokes. You know. Oh yeah, the farm yeah. girl. She's not growing vegetables. You know, they always think. So you were
0: going to grow something at work. You're going to grow something at your desk. Uh, Why not? Yeah, I think that's a great idea. I
1: mean, I mean, a lot of people have plants at their desk. Why not grow something you can eat? I mean,
0: I think that's an excellent idea. Salad
1: bar in a cubicle.
0: Can you imagine? I think that's a great idea. You can always, if you have a desk lamp, you
1: can always put in a a UV, like an agriculture bulb. It has, you
0: know. And no one would really even know.
1: No, and I mean, uh, there's people who, I mean, I know people at work who have like. Giant plants in their office. I oh yeah. Mean, there's no reason why you couldn't have a. I mean, I'm, I'm planning on bringing in some snap peas just because I love the way they crawl. Yeah. Things and the blossoms are so pretty and, I mean, uh, I was saying it at work today to my boss. Like, I want to bring snap peas in. He's like, What? Well, why not? You no. Know,
0: come on. no I think that's and you might be on the verge of starting a serious like workplace revolution because I think no can you imagine though like if do you know how much happier employees would be I think if they had like food growing at their desk I mean, could you imagine if you see a pepper? Like, of course, it takes quite a bit of time to grow the pepper. But if you're at your desk and you're like, okay, you know, and every day you're checking the progress of the pepper, you have almost a different experience than you would have with your garden. Because I know, I don't know about you, but I'm not out every day, like, studying. Like, because, you know, at work you have those moments where you're like, okay, you're trying to yeah, – and out. Yeah, and to be able to watch, like, food growing, I think that would be excellent.
1: I, yeah, and I mean, I mean, I, I, you, you, know, your neighborhood association may not allow a garden, but I bet you, your work office could care less if you grew lettuce at your desk. Yeah,
0: I don't think anyone would even. No, and no. I think,
1: I think, if a couple of your coworkers saw how easy it was for you to do it, since you're already there eight hours a day, right? You know, I'm certainly you're not going to forget to water it. You're not going to, you know, it's going to get plenty of attention. So. You're not gonna have problems with weeds. So when they start seeing that for lunch, all you bring in is like is a you- jar of salad dressing <laughs> in a
0: bowl. <laughs> <laughs> and then you have everything else. I could see that get being pillaged though too in the workplace. People ah, are like, she's maybe. got spinach over there, you know. <laughs> yeah. Like someone those
1: really nice uh, cherry tomatoes in their salad,
0: you're like, hey, hey, wait, that was my tomato. <laughs> yeah, you might be onto something there. Well, the next I mean, book not? might be workplace, uh, you know, made from scratch right at your desk. You know yeah. the grow other side
1: growing what op- happens behind the office walls office space <laughs>
0: office space gardens yeah no, I think that's a great idea. yeah I' uh, have you ever tried hydro- hydroponics like the indoor?
1: No, I haven't tried them yet I just um, I've done a lot of I've actually had a lot less luck growing stuff indoors than I have outside i've um I've learned personally that starting seeds in the ground. I have a much better shot of them making it than me trying to transplant and harden them off and and move them outside. I yeah, because there's
0: the whole things. like with even if you have a, a light, it you have to you know adjust the height of it and all exactly. that. And my seedlings always look really spindly and sickly, and then they die. Yeah, I
1: had the same experience. <laughs> I mean, it's, so, you just need to, but I mean, it's trial and error, right? I mean, I, I mean, there are things I planted indoors that made it, but I mean, I, I know there's they, you always hear the story of of the. Of the new gardener that walks next door to her 85 year old neighbor, who has a giant garden of the most like beautiful food, but he's only growing peas, broccoli, tomatoes, and lettuce, and right. it's so gorgeous. And and she, you know, you, you ask your neighbor like, "How do you have such an amazing garden?" And he's like, "Well, I only grow what I know how to grow. Right. Like, if I killed it, I don't grow it here anymore." Like, <laughs> so you just could, you know, I kind of did that myself. I, I gave up on all the stuff that I failed miserably at because. I really wasn't going to eat it that much of it anyway. Right, right. So I've, I'm the, I've become gangbusters at tomatoes, snap peas, broccoli. and uh, This is my first year with pumpkins, and I actually was able to carve my own jack-o'-lantern this year, which was a, a big deal for me.
0: That is excellent. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't grown a pumpkin yet.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah. they weren't big pumpkins, but they were definitely pumpkins.
0: Well, if you're carving it, it's big enough. It's <laughs> exactly. big enough, you know. It's it's, it counts. It counts. Well, that's wonderful. Well, I really want to thank you for you know spending all the time. And I don't know if there's anything that I didn't ask you or anything that you want the folks at home to know about you, your fabulous book.
1: Um, let's see. The only thing I'd like to stress was uh um there's, I have I kind of like have a saying about the the most important things in the world, and that is. At least to me, it's food, um, animals, and music. So, uh, one Yeah, of, we didn't talk about your music. No, we don't have to talk about my music. but Yeah,
0: but, but no, tell people what you do, what, what you play.
1: Well, I play uh, a couple instruments, but I play the fiddle and the mountain dulcimer and the banjo. Wow. And Now um, that, that you say wow, but I, I don't play them all fantastically. I, 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 I fell in love with the fiddle, so I, I play it every day. I played it every day for... Almost three years now, but uh, but uh, you know, I'm I'm just learning uh banjo yet, and I learned dulcimer when I lived in Tennessee. But uh, I think just like we talked about, how great it is to grow your own food, it it feels just as good to make your own music, to oh, yeah. play your own songs, to to get together with friends at a campfire at someone's, you know, you know, someone's house, and and to be able to have someone play a couple really basic guitar chords, and for you to do a couple of tunes on whatever it is you play. It's just as satisfying, and I think it's an important. I think it's as important to be self-reliant in your entertainment as it is in, in your uh, your meals.
0: Well, I really appreciate your time. Okay, well, thank you so much. A special thanks to Jenna for sharing her story. I really appreciate it and find it to be very inspiring. And hope that at some point in my future, I too will move to the country and get to keep bees, maybe have a sheep or two. A lot of hard work, but kind of fun. And even if I don't get to do those things, in a way, I feel like I kind of got to share in the experience because of Jenna's book. Special thanks to the kind folks over at Anna Magazine. And I just got a chance to check out the digital version of this magazine. And it really includes all the crafts I enjoy. I fell in love with the delicate doilies on page 50. They are so beautiful and remind me of the doilies that my crafty ancestors used to make. I'd like to make some doilies in non-traditional colors, some bright doilies to maybe frame and put on the wall, because I really feel like the doily is kind of like the marathon of crochet. I haven't done that yet, and I would really like to try it sometime, so thank you to Anna magazine for inspiring this new goal. If you want to find out more about this magazine, it's available in both print and digital formats, so you can visit AnnaCrafts.com to get more information and find out how to subscribe. And if you'd like to become a sponsor of Craft Sanity, you can find more information at CraftSanity.com under the sponsors link. And we really would love your support. As I'm inching closer, closer and closer, it's been baby steps, but I am really moving forward with making Craft Sanity a bigger part of my professional life. You know, a weird thing happened. I think I told you guys about a year ago I went to Detroit pbs to record a little mini interview with the folks producing knit and crochet today and it was a chance for me to be interviewed which was really crazy because i'm normally interview chasing after talent interviewing people and this was a a case where they candy jensen the producer of the show had asked me if i would come and uh talk about craft sanity and of course you know i was like absolutely so i went and did this little interview i was sick i always get sinus problems around this time of year no matter what i do could drink all the orange juice. Be try to get sleep. It just nothing seems to work. So, I happened to be in a massive like sinus flare up and coughing. It was it was awful. So, but I pulled it together and I went because I thought you know this kind of opportunity doesn't come along every day. So I went, did the interview, and you know just kind of came back. Thought wow that was really fun, and was kind of like well even if my segment is cut in the editing room and it never sees the light of day that was really fun to go and go behind the scenes of the show and see how they put it together and meet the people and get a chance to hang out with the crochet dude. And Kristen Nicholas and Brett Barra, who is the host of the show, and it was really fun. So I guess I was half expecting to be cut out of the show. And then when they didn't, when uh, I got a box with the DVD set last week and just kind of let it sit there on the counter for a couple hours, and I'm like, you know, wow, I guess this really happened. So I opened the box and popped in the DVD and watched my segment kind of cringing a little bit like oh boy what did i even say because as soon as it was over i had no idea what i said this is the funny part i watched this thing kind of like you know with my eyes squinted closed almost like just kind of ready to to cringe and and i didn't do anything really terrible which was a relief i kind of noticed i look very tired but and i knew i was sick but i looked very very happy and so excited to be talking about craft sanity And I don't have a mirror in front of me when I do these interviews and when I put these shows together, and I often have to quickly put this together and then get back to my real life, you know, as this journalist and mom, and, you know, I I don't dwell very long on anything I'm putting together for craft sanity, and unfortunately, you guys are not getting my best efforts. You're getting the effort I have left after I've done everything else I have to do in my life, and... I kind of want to change that, because after seeing this little clip, and this is not a clip, on, I mean, being on the show for me is a huge deal. You know, There are other craft people out there who have been on bigger shows and gotten way more exposure, and, you know, I'm not trying to be famous. But one of the things that that clip did for me is it gave me a chance to kind of see myself and see just how important this is to me. I mean, because I know it's important to me, but it was kind of interesting to see, be a year removed from the interview and kind of get to see myself talking about this and it really inspired me to kind of light the fire behind some of these projects that I have going that are craft related and you know just finally uh instead of just standing in the doorway of the plane with the parachute on my back the instructor saying all right it's go time you've trained for this you know what to do just go pull the cord the chute's gonna open and just hesitating you know I'm finally (laughs) I'm finally getting to the point where I'm actually gonna going to do something, you know, I'm going to jump. And, you know, it's kind of funny that it took me seeing a video of myself on a PBS show to make, you know, to kind of make this decision. But, yeah, so you'll be hearing more as things unfold. And I don't think it's going to be any kind of grandiose unveiling of anything in particular. I think it's just going to be an announcement of a change that has been a long time coming. But I guess what the reason I bring this up is because I think there are probably a lot of you that have been kind of, have these dreams that you put on hold, just like I have. And, um, you know, if you have any chance or any, if you're able to make that change now, you know, seriously think about that and try to do everything you can to make the change. Because I think, you know, we never know how long we have on this planet. And it just seems like a shame to waste time, especially if you know what else you should be doing. So I'm going to try to practice what I preach Because so far, I've been doing a lot of preaching, not so much practicing, about living my own dreams. So, you know, and I'm kind of curious to see what Craft Sanity could be if I spent more time on it. So, you know, and it's kind of scary because, you know, there's not a whole lot of ad revenue coming in because, you know, I haven't had time to really focus on the business side of it at all. So, we'll see what happens. You know, and I just want to thank all of you for tuning in and telling your friends about the show and blogging about it, because it really is still kind of amazing to me that anybody even knows about the show and listens to it. So thank you so much for that. I'm going to be taping a new batch of shows coming up, so get ready for those. And also, visit craftsanity.com every now and then and check out announcements for giveaways and other things that you can get involved with. Uh, I know I actually do have a giveaway going on right now for... A copy of the Knit and Crochet Today DVD set. Candy Jensen sent me a copy to give away. And it's really cool because you get all, you get 26 episodes. And I've learned, I haven't watched all the episodes yet, but I've learned something from every single episode. It's really interesting because it's like stuff that, you know, when you're doing a pattern and you're like, oh, I don't really know what this means, it's kind of cool to watch this and I'm like, oh, that's what that means. Okay, you know, and it's really going to speed things along. Next time I'm trying to decipher a pattern, So I really appreciate that. And also the DVD set comes with all the patterns that they talk about on the show are on a disc with the DVD set. So that's pretty cool too. So you have all the patterns. You don't have to go searching online for them. They're all right there. Uh, The deadline to enter is April 25th. So good luck, everyone. I'm very happy to pass this along. This is a great prize. This is really a fun one. So be sure to head over to craftsanity.com to enter. And as usual, if you have any comments for me, anything, any stories you think I should be covering, please do let me know. And in the meantime, I will get out my list of the infinite list of guests that I hope to have on the show. Largely, many of the names supplied by you folks, which I really am grateful for. I'm going to try and see if I can cross off a few more names in the next round of interviews. So, in the meantime, Craft Sanity, my friends. It works for me.
1: Thanks for listening to the Craft Sanity podcast with Jennifer Ackerman-Haywood. Visit Craftsanity.com for
0: more information about today's guests and links to subscribing to the podcast. Want to support the show? File the link to vote for Craft Sanity on Podcast Alley once a month. You can also make a donation or buy goods at the Craft Sanity store. Have a suggestion for a future guest or have other feedback?
1: Email jennifer at craftsanity.com. Thanks again for listening to Craft Sanity.